All right, what comes to your mind when you hear the word theology? Theology. The study of religion, the study of God. How many of you have taken biology? Yeah, we try to forget that, right? Uh, Biology, what's that a study of? Life, bio, life, ology, study of. Okay, so theology, theo is God, ology is the study of God. What, okay, now that's what it means, but what, what happens like in the innermost part of who you are when you hear the word theology? Confusing, okay. Anybody? Confusing? It's okay, we can be honest. Broad, vast, huge, complex, anything else? Want to know more? Anything else? Controversial? What do you say that, Chad? Okay, for our definition today, we're going to say theology is the knowledge of God, okay? Everybody say knowledge of God, so I know that you're awake and alive. (laughs) Knowledge of God, let's say it one more time. Okay, and we need to start with this understanding that knowledge of God is never neutral. Knowledge of God is never neutral. What's that mean when I say it's never neutral? You're like, why are you asking me? You're the one that said it. What, what do you think that means? It'll either make you go forward or backward. Somebody over here was saying something. Okay, it's never balanced, never even. It's either all or nothing, like we talked about last week. The chips are all in or they're not. Okay, so knowledge of God is never neutral. That means that it is constantly moving forward. It constantly requires you to act upon what you know. You'll notice that in here, um, we, we don't just say, hey, here's, here's how to beat lust. Here's 10 steps to behavior modify your lust problem. Here's 10 steps to deal with pornography. Here's 10 steps to deal with drug addiction. Here's 12 steps to deal with those gossipy girls that are jerks. Here's five steps, no, probably 10, to deal with pride in your life. We don't start from there. We start with, here's who God is. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is love, the gospel. And that should then motivate and change our behavior. We never start with a behavior modification We always start with who God is, what he says in his word, believing that that's true, and that is never neutral. Does that make sense before we move forward today? That we're not just here about, hey, we want to clean you up and make you look cookie-cutter Christian so you can wear a Christian t-shirt and maybe, I wouldn't, but maybe get a Christian tattoo and have a sticker on your car and fit the mold of what American Christianity should look like. That's not what we want. 
We don't want you to look and act. We want you to fall in love with God, to fall in love with Jesus, not just fall in love with him, but be in awe and have extreme reverence for who God is because that, only that will then change who you are. Only the supernatural can do a supernatural change in your life. Okay? So, with that said, I want to read this to you from our book that we're looking at. Uh, Chapter 3 of Forgotten God. Some of you may have read it. Some of you have no clue what we're talking about. On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Acts. On Sunday mornings, we're going through a book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan together. You'll see his shiny bald head in a second up on the screen. Here's what he says. Unfortunately, we don't always grasp the significance of what we claim to believe. If we stop short of applying a truth to our lives, then we do not actually grasp that truth. Okay, so let me rephrase, let me emphasize. So if we know a truth about God, and it does not lead to application, it does not lead to us taking that knowledge and putting it into practice, then we, have not, we, we don't really grasp the truth. We have a system of beliefs, we have a system of know-it-all, prideful things that we know about God, but unless it interrupts our life in the way we live our life, then we don't really have a grasp on it. Do we, are we clear with that? Knowledge of God is not neutral. That's the point he's trying to make. Until our lives, not just our beliefs, are changed, we are not doing real theology. This is what he says in chapter 3. What you do and how you live are absolutely vital. Without action and fruit, all the theology in the world has little meaning. But theology is still important. What you believe absolutely determines how you act. So while good theology at its best can lead us to live godly lives, bad theology always points us in the wrong direction. When we study the Holy Spirit, bad theology can lead to ineffective lives, or worse yet, lives spent striving after what the Spirit of God opposes. That's on page 64. More important than what we know is how we act. Where's the biblical proof for this? If you look at the book of Titus, your beliefs determine the way you live your life. Okay, Belief determines behavior. So flip side of that, if I want to know or if you want to know what I believe, what can you do? Watch what I do or watch what I say? What I do and what I say, right? right? Both. My sound doctrine should determine how I lead my life. Okay, so let's say, let's say I really value prayer. I really value prayer. Everyone should really value prayer. But then you look at my life, what should you see in my life? Prayer, like... God, thanks for this food. It's going to make me fat, whatever. Amen. That kind of prayer? Okay. I value the Great Commission and taking the gospel to the nations. How would you know if I valued that? I'd go. I'd be making disciples actively now, wherever I go. I would talk about it a lot. Anything else? 
and I would be doing it, not just on Wednesday, not just on Sunday. Okay, give me another thing that we know as theology or as Christians we're supposed to be all about. Being in the Word. How would you know if I believe, the theology behind that is, I believe that the Word of God is sufficient and preeminent. That in Psalm 119, God says, I have the Word of God and I have the name of God and I've elevated it as high as my name. It's a pretty big deal. So how would you know if I highly valued the Word of God? I'd be speaking it to others. I would carry around my big inductive study Bible everywhere I went. Absolutely. I would write Bible verses on my Facebook all the time and then slam people that said things that were bad theology about them. Yeah, no. That's called pride. It comes before the fall and God opposes the proud. That's kind of scary. What else? How would you know that I believe that I highly value the Word of God? I have joy about it. Okay? I'd talk about things to other believers, and I would share it with non-believers. This is who God is. Okay, last one, and then we'll move on. How could you tell if I really, really highly valued the gospel? Be sharing it. I'd have to know it. What do you mean, Danae? Okay. You got to know it. You got to be able to speak it. And the gospel has had to have had an effect on your life, right? And when we say gospel, we're talking about that you were in sin. God was holy. God cannot look upon sin. God sent his son as missionary to earth in flesh, putting aside all the riches in heaven, putting on flesh, living among us for the purpose of dying on the cross, taking on our sin, taking us off of the cross, because that's what we deserve for sin, putting himself on the cross so that we could have righteousness, so that we could be, have as our identity that Christ gave us his righteousness. That Christ has, we are not holy, but Christ has given us the opportunity to be holy through Jesus. So if I really grasp that and if I really love that, I'd be, I'd know it, I would speak it, and how would I live it? What's that mean? We'll open it up to the floor, okay, Danae? You ready? Okay, well go ahead, Danae, tell me about it. So where Jesus was rich and became poor in order to preach the gospel, live the gospel, die for the gospel, well, if I'm following Christ, then I need to get, I need to become, though I'm rich, I need to become poor in order to, Jesus is holy, so I need to be holy. God is love, God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, well, I need to demonstrate love for others through the cross, living the cross-centered life. See, that's what we mean of theology, knowledge of God is not neutral. If I know those things about God, 
it should interrupt the way I live my life. If those things that I know about God have not interrupted my life, what's that mean? Well, watch this real quick. This is a great analogy. Go ahead and start that video, please. It's a pretty powerful analogy when you think about it, right? We huddle together, and then we go, and what did he say we do? Sit on the bench, right? Okay, you're at the Cowboys game. There's a huddle. You paid, I always said a word that I shouldn't have said. You pay a lot of money to go to this game, and they huddle and then go sit on the bench. What, what would you be thinking? Okay. Give me my money back. This is, why am I here? It's really hot. It's like 108 degrees outside, even though they're not playing right now, whatever. What I want you to do is I want you to huddle up with about, mm, let's do like eight to seven or eight people. Huddle up with seven or eight people. Break, like now, go. You can do it. This week, I promise you, I will not be dancing on stage like last week. Oh, those of you that missed last week, you're like, what? Uh, handy volunteers, if you would begin dispersing the mysterious white card. That would be great. Now, when I say seven to eight, that means in America, seven or eight. Like, not 15, not 30, seven or eight. Most of my energy right now is directed to this group of like 100 over here. You might want to separate. Thanks, Rob. Seven or eight people. Get you a white card. If you haven't gotten a white card, there's some people going around with the white cards. Brilliant. Hey, Randy, will you do me a favor? Will you come join this group over here? Thanks. All right, here's what I want you to do. Two questions before you uh, get to know your group and say hi to your group. Right, right back here with these guys. Josiah, raise your hand. Awesome. She's a girl. Guy's name. Whatever. She loves when people point that out. We're fast friends. We've been friends forever. Okay, number one. Here is the question. I want you to think, in this, if this is your first week with us, then just write something down. Um, think over the past three weeks, if you've been coming on Wednesday night when we've been studying Acts, if you've taken the Acts challenge and you're in Acts as we go, um, I want you to write down a few things that you've learned about the Holy Spirit. Write down a few things that you've learned about the Holy Spirit over the past couple of times that we've gotten together. You might need to go through the cobwebs in your brain, get back to last week or the week before. Some things we've learned about the Holy Spirit, write it on one of the sides of the white mysterious card. If you need a pen, Pam has some pens back there, right? In the deep recesses of that desk. Raise your hand if you need a pen, we'll throw one at you. 
a few things you've learned about the Holy Spirit. Do me a favor and put a number one on that side somewhere so I know which question you're answering. I'll say the question again. Write down a few things that you've learned about the Holy Spirit in the past couple of weeks. Anybody else need a pen? Don't be scared. We have all things in common here. All right, number two. You can either do it on that same uh, side or turn it over. There's only going to be three questions, so don't be freaked out. It's not a five-question quiz, and then you fail the class. Number two, how should those truths, if you wrote down like 80, how should like one or two of those truths Start shaping the way that you act. How should those truths, choose one or two of them, how should those truths start shaping the way that you act? Remember, we said knowledge of God is not neutral. How can you go from the huddle to actually being in the gridiron. We good or we need a few more seconds? Everything I do is really fast paced, so that's why I'm like, is everybody okay? You all right, Chad? Okay. All right, final question. Have you seen this happen yet in your life? Put a check beside any of the actions that you just listed that you've begun to see in your life. Any of the things that you've begun to see manifested in your life over the past two weeks. Don't lie. I had to write a Bible verse about lying when I was a child and wear it around my neck when I went to the grocery store because I had a lying problem when I was a kid. I'll tell you about that later. I love you, Mom. What? Pretty much. Yeah. Having the grocery store workers just laugh at you. It was awesome. It wasn't awesome. I just lied. I'm sorry. Ah! Shoot. Okay. Do me a favor. One person in your group, take all those up without looking at them. They're anonymous. If you wrote your name on it, scratch it out. Put some lipstick, eyeliner, whatever on it. Who cares? Okay? This is just for me so I can know how to pray for our group. Now, say hi to the people in your group. Maybe say your name. Instead of just a meaningless introduction. Okay, that's enough introductions. Stop doing community. Let's go. Think about 
the gathering of believers in the huddle analogy. Okay? Huddling together and then going and sitting on the bench. Real quickly, like 30 seconds, one minute, tell me how you've seen that in your relationship with the church. We have some people who've grown up in the church here. We have some people that are skeptical in here. We have some people that this is their first time setting foot foot in a church building. How have you seen the huddle analogy? Huddle, go sit on the bench. Huddle, go sit on the bench. Ready? Go. Depressed now and sad. Okay, so we're going to stop there. We're going to end the 30 minutes, 30 seconds short. Okay? I'm a deconstructionist by heart. That means I'm a pessimist that the Holy Spirit has to come into my personality and change and transform me and use my pessimism in order to be a solution to problems, okay? All that means is I sometimes am very critical and I have to learn how to use that for a positive way, okay? So let's switch that aside for a second, flip the coin, so to speak, and say what would happen, what would it look like if we as a church, if you as a group started running the plays, what would that look like? Please freeze. I have a new rule. Y'all know the rules, right? I always tell you the rules when we start. It's real easy, especially in this situation. I'm standing on the stage now. This is really important. It's really easy to point the finger at everybody else. Well, I know this person. I know this person. This person did this to me. I want you to take it and allow the Holy Spirit to point it at you. What would it look like if you ran the play? Okay? You got it? Deconstruction mode, pessimism mode's over. Don't talk about a bunch of other people. What would it look like if you did that. Go. Okay. Anything less. If your answer was anything less than it would change the world. Your expectations are way too small. It would absolutely change the world if we, if two or three or four or five of us in this room actually said, I'm not just going to come to church, study, 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 be arrogant, know all this. Paul said, knowledge puffs up where I have this arrogance because I know so much. If we took it and actually ran the play, took the ball, did the thing, made the touchdown over and over and over again. It would change the world. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Where even the religious leaders of the day were freaked out by Peter and John, these men who have turned the world upside down, is what it says about them. That's awesome. That's what the Spirit of God is all about. God gave us His Spirit so that we might change the world, not through our power, our finesse, our charisma, but through the power of God working in 
and through us as we crucified ourselves. Let me read this to you. We're all capable of studying biblical truth in ways that make us smarter. But it doesn't affect anything in our lives. On the other hand, we also have the ability to study in such a way that our lives are never the same because of what we've learned. The end result of this study could be that you walk away becoming, or knowing, sorry, more about the Holy Spirit. Or it could be that you walk away knowing the Holy Spirit. Notice the difference. Know about knowing. Personally. Showing people around you a Spirit-filled life. Only a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit can offer the world something better than what they have right now. So let's do this. In your group, we're going to take a few aspects about the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a few who is God type situations. I'm going to read them to you. We're going to talk about them. Then we're going to talk about, okay, what would this look like if we applied this? And then at the very end, we're going to talk about some of the, okay, this is what the Spirit does in believers. What would it mean if we really got this and ran the play? Okay? So it's going to be kind of a hodgepodge of things, but you're going to talk about them with your group. Are you ready? Yes or no? Right on. Here we go. Okay, number one, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not this interpersonal, interpersonal being or force where it's like this force field or this energy or like, you can, I feel the Holy Spirit in the room. It's not like that. It's not an it. Have you ever heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it? Maybe, maybe not. The Bible consistently describes the Spirit as a person. Matthew 28, 19, where the Spirit is an equal member of the personal Godhead. Or Ephesians 4, 30, where he is said to have emotions. Rather than using the Spirit as an energy boost or tapping into him like an electrical current, we actually talk to him, relate to him, cooperate with him, and make ourselves available to him. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, in your group, I want you to answer this question. Give an example of how this difference between person and thing should affect the way we live our lives. The difference between person, Holy Spirit as a person, and Holy Spirit as a thing, how that should, that knowledge of God should be active in our lives. Okay? Might take a second to unpack it because these are Trinitarian matters that we're talking about and that's big, heavy stuff, but that's why you're in a group. Ready? Go. Okay, we started with kind of abstract one where thing, person. This, let me throw this in, okay, and this might help you a little bit, okay? Not only is the Holy Spirit a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. Not just a person, but God, let me read this to you. He's not less than the Father or the Son. He is consistently presented as equal to both God and the Son. Just like the other members of the Godhead, the Spirit is sometimes referred to simply as God, like in Acts 5. Person, God, how do you think this should change the way that we relate to Him? 
Okay, we got the person stuff. That was a little weird. It was kind of hard. It, person, whatever. But he's God. How should that change the way we relate to him? Go. Okay, so God we think of as being in heaven. Jesus we think of, well, he came to earth, but he's ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit, where is he? Ephesians 2, we talked about two weeks ago on Wednesday. The Holy Spirit, if we have listened to the message of truth, the gospel, and received it, then we have the Holy Spirit within us sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. Not like God is within you, like Oprah tells us, but God, the Holy Spirit, has crucified the old man and put the very spirit of the living God inside of you. Everybody say right on. That's kind of freaky and kind of like, oh, then why do I still deal with some of the stuff I deal with if the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is living inside of me, right? Yes? Tell me what you said. How should it change the way we live our life that the Holy Spirit is, boom, badow, God? Any brave souls? How we act or treat others? That's very Sunday school, Ben. What do you mean? Okay, that's good. So the, the term for that is meekness, where the Holy Spirit restrains us, he leads us and guides us to where our initial tendency is, that guy's a loser, I'm not going to be friends with that guy. But the Holy Spirit enters into that and, and reminds us, you were a loser, and I looked on you with love. You, why don't you demonstrate love to that person? What else? Mr. Miyagi in, inside of you, yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. Boldness, confidence, like we talked about on Wednesday night, in the name of Jesus. Not in you, but in the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Old Testament, they were led by the pillar of cloud, uh, the fire by night. It led them where they were to go. When the pillar left, they picked up their tent and started walking. That same spirit lives inside of you to lead you, guide you, direct you. That's brilliant. The Holy Spirit is God. We'll do a couple more of these. The Holy Spirit has emotions. It's a little weird. We're always told, suppress the emotions. Don't just go with the emotional high, but let me read this to you. Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When there is disunity, lack of love with other people or with God himself, we cause the Spirit to grieve. Disunity, lack of love. We rarely think about the effect our sin has on God, but he is clearly saddened when we fail to honor him as we ought. When we willfully sin 
as a believer, though the, though the Spirit of God is inside of us, we willfully choose to engage in sin, disunity, lack of love, pride, any of those things. We grieve the Holy Spirit. How should an understanding that the Spirit can be grieved affect our attitudes towards sin? How should the understanding that the Holy Spirit can be grieved affect our attitude towards sin? Go. Remember the rules. If you're always the one to talk, let somebody else talk. If you're the one just sitting there like a bump on the log, take a deep breath and then talk. Okay, freeze again. Again, it's really easy to point the finger and say, they're causing disunity. Their lack of love, their arrogance. Take the finger, Holy Spirit, how does your sin grieve the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that kind of what we're talking about right now? Or are we just pointing fingers at everybody? I always am the one that points fingers at everybody first, so I'm trying to help you get rid of that five minutes and then focus on you. Are we good? Okay, keep talking. Sorry to interrupt. Have a great time. I'm a jerk. Whatever. If you're studying the book of Acts with us, you see over and over and over and over again that the believers, the early church believers who were so effective that they are, were of one mind with one another, that they were unified around the mission that they had for them. So they were that way. Why do you think, um, well, how do I say this? What do you think the primary way that the enemy is going to come after us if we start pressing into this idea of, yes, we want to infect our generation with the gospel? We want to, in the lives of people in this room, when I have coffee with you, I want to remind you of the gospel when you're dealing with your sin. Not sin management, but remember the gospel. Remember what God did for you in Christ Jesus and that he's given you his righteousness that you're a child of God, that you, all of those things about the gospel, that you cannot do it on your own. You have to relinquish control to God, Holy Spirit in you. What if we had those conversations and then what if we started living intentionally with one another to reach the out there's, to take the plays outside the walls of the church? What do you think the way that the enemy's going to come after us? Sorry, I'm not very clear. Tell me now. Like, don't tell your group. Tell me. Everybody's like, what do we do? <laughs> Sorry. Go back to the scripture about what purpose is. You know, does God really say, like, no, do you really seriously believe you know, that you know the prophet is supposed to be lost? Do you really seriously believe God is going to be lost? Okay, so deception. All right, what else? Doubt. Doubt. What do you mean? Hmm. So what we talked about, I guess, last week or the week before, fear. Fear that it's me, what if I get in the way of the Holy Spirit 
being unleashed. And see, that's what's awesome about our study of the book of Acts is it was all they shared was the gospel. And sometimes it, it, it didn't work. They didn't respond. Sometimes they picked up rocks to throw at them. Man, I guess I, they don't like me. They're trying to kill me, right? And then other times they were pierced to the heart, Acts 2, and 3,000 people were added to the church. We're still missing the big one, though. If the early church was of one mind with one another, centered in prayer, centered on the gospel, taking, being a witness for Jesus, what do you think the one way that the enemy is going to come and attack us? Not as individuals, but as a microcosm, organic thing of the big church. Division. Disunity. Pride. Pointing the finger at everybody else instead of saying, look, we've got to get unified. We've got to, we so urgently have to unify in order to do this thing of turning the world upside down. Have you seen that in your experiences with the church? This is deconstructionist Jeremy coming back. Have you seen that? A lack of unity? Yes. Have you seen that here before? Yes. What's the solution? Huh? Okay. Division from the enemy. What the early church do? Pray. It's very hard to be uh, to be at odds with somebody when you're praying towards the same goal. It's very hard for person over here in the boxing ring, UFC fighting match over here, if they pray together, then they're going to be united in prayer. It's very hard when people are centered around the gospel to be at odds with one another. Here's the gospel, we're going to clinch to that. Here's the other things, eh, that's, that's number two, number four on the list. And when we are disunified, when we lack unity, it grieves the Spirit of God. Like a dam that holds back the water. Whereas if we are unified, the Holy Spirit is just unleashed. And that's what I want. Last one and then we're done. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. Those of you that are like theologians, omni, yes, it's the same word, but it's easier for people to understand. All-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. In Zechariah 4, 6, one of the verses that God has just been massaging into my life over the past couple weeks, God calls his people to rely on the power of the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Lord, how are we going to reach... How are we going to reach 18 to 35-year-olds? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How are we going to create unity and a community that centers around the gospel, but doesn't just become the self-help group, but actually goes out, takes the gospel, takes the football, and runs the play? 
How are we going to do that? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How are any of you going to get that it's not just about church, it's not just about behavior modification, where you were an alcoholic, and if you come to Jesus, ooh, you're not an alcoholic. How are you going to get that that's not what the gospel is about? Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit revealing that to you. The gospel is so much bigger than behavior modification. Here's what you're going to do in your group. 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul not only says that the Holy Spirit knows everything, but that he reveals truth to us. Psalm 139, 7 and 8, David tells us that the Spirit is everywhere and we cannot escape his presence. How do these truths affect the way that we look to the Spirit? These three truths. Holy Spirit's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and He's everywhere at all times. How does that affect our view of the Holy Spirit? Break. Go. Hey, Pam. Some people are coming around passing you a piece of paper. Just hold on to it. I'll explain it in a second. Don't get freaked out. We're not going through all of it. I want to leave you with something today. Okay, we're going to end on this. Don't read the whole piece of paper. That's why I didn't hand it out to you till the very end. Don't read it yet, okay? Let's take this one. God, Holy Spirit, God is all-powerful. That's the knowledge of God. What would it mean if we applied that knowledge? Holy Spirit is all-powerful. What would that look like in our lives? Big group, talk to me. All-powerful. Confidence, we wouldn't have to worry. Josiah left. When, when I'm left with the, I have to share the gospel. If the Holy Spirit has all power, what's that mean for me? Psh, it's not me. It's me being available for the Holy Spirit to do his thing through me in the lives of someone else. When I share the gospel, it's not my words that have some like Pied Piper effect on people. It's the Holy Spirit through me that woos them and draws them to salvation. All I'm doing is being available. In your struggle with sin, what's it mean if the Holy Spirit is all-powerful? What is too difficult for the Spirit of God? What is too difficult for the same Spirit that has the power of raising someone from the dead? Walk by the Spirit, therefore do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5. Okay, next one. What's it mean that... The Holy Spirit is all-knowing. If we have that knowledge and we applied it, all-knowing. There's a couple ways we could go with this one. Yeah. 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 This looks absolutely crazy around me. What's going on in my life right now looks psychotic. Yet, God is in control. He is sovereign. And his spirit is all-knowing. And he's revealed 
some things to me and I need to take grasp and hold of those things and depend on him for the rest and trust. I need to know those things he's revealed, but I need to trust. Okay? Someone always comes up with that one. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter is, likes to play hide-and-go-seek right now. Okay? How many of you know my daughter? She's three. Okay? That gives you a little context on that. Hide-and-go-seek with her is a little bit different. When you first start playing hide-and-go-seek with little kids, do they hide very effectively? No, they hide in the middle of the floor, they close their eyes and think because their eyes are closed that no one else on planet Earth can see them. So imagine you, as a child of God, going into the middle of the floor and just closing your eyes and being like, you can't see me, God. You can't see what I just did. You can't see my sin. Adam and Eve did it. They tried to make some covering for themselves, but they were bare-boned naked before God. Right? He sees it all. What else? One more. Yeah. Acts 4, Peter and John, they were uneducated. They hadn't gone through the religious system of the day. And yet, boom, God was doing some amazing things. They basically taught the religious leaders of the day who should know the history of Israel, they taught the history of Israel to them and said, Jesus, 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 you missed it. We can have that confidence. Last one, God is all, God, Holy Spirit is all present everywhere at all times. What if we got that? Never alone. Okay, so how's that? How do we walk that out? Is the God that is with Katie May and Alex Jones and Joe Meyer and Aaron Rex while they're on their mission trips, is, is it like we have more of the Spirit here than they do in India and all those other places? Same Spirit. What about if I go to the slum of Dallas? And I'm a little afraid for my life right now. But I'm going to take the gospel. Help me out. Same spirit. I'm a little scared. Holy Spirit, give me confidence. He's everywhere. In Africa, in Sudan, in your workplace, in your classroom, the Holy Spirit is there. Right? That should give us more confidence, more boldness. Amazing. You have a piece of paper in front of you. And what I want you to do, uh, I know we're not going to be here, we're going to be here for pancakes next week, but not for like teaching, teaching time. What I want you to do with this piece of paper, I've given you 11 things that the Holy Spirit says that he will do for you, okay? 11 things that the Holy Spirit is and will do for believers. He helps us when we need to witness. He helps us with sin. He put, helps us put to death the deeds of the body. What I want you to do this week, is I want you to focus on one of those things. I want you to do one of these, Lord, what do you want me to do? What truth do you want me to grasp about you and apply to my life? Don't try to do them all. The Holy Spirit does not expect us to instantaneously be perfect. What is the one that the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to get this week? If you flip it over on the back, I give you two little follow-up deals, okay? Two little follow-ups. Number one, pray. Pray about it. 
ponder the amazing power of the Spirit of God. And then number two, I want you to think about this through the week. And I have full confidence in all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere God that He is going to orchestrate things in your life this week to where you're like, oh my word, I got to get this. Okay, let me pray for you and then we're outie. Okay, let's go. God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, thank you that the knowledge of God leads us to be different, to be changed, to be transformed. I thank you for the potential that is in this room. If we pray, if we center on the gospel, and if we say, Jesus was a friend of sinners, I need to be a friend of sinners. Lord, help us not to be like the analogy where we come, we huddle together right on, that's awesome, cool, have a little conversation, a little coffee, some Gatorade, and then go sit back on the bench. God, I'm sick of sitting on the bench and sitting in huddles. Allow us in this room to start something, to play the game, to be in awe of who you are. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do amazing things this week as we focus on you and as we focus on being more aware of your presence in our lives. To you be the glory, because you give glory to Jesus. Jesus gives all glory to God, and so God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an amazing day.